episode 71 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. An interview with Dr. Mark Cropley. Alrighty, team, welcome along to episode 71 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Owls, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Uh, welcome along to this week's show. I have to say, I'm pretty excited about today's show. I've already done the interview that we're going to be having on today's show, and uh, I think there's real value in this episode for lots of reasons, and I'm sure it's a topic that many of you will be able to identify with in regards to uh, the stress management of your life. So I've got an interview with a guy called Dr. Mark Cropley. He is uh, basically a brainiac. <laughs> uh, uh, he, no, he really is. Um, he's a professor of health psychology, director of research for the School of Psychology. Um, he works at the University of Surrey. He's a doctor. Um, yeah, he's he's a very, very smart man. And he's a, he's a man who's basically spent his whole academic career trying to figure out um, some aspects of stress and what causes stress, and particularly work-related stress. But he, his body works pretty impressive. I'm doing my research for the interview with Mark. I read some of his published works, and this guy has uh, has an amazing body of work. And I actually found out about him from his book called The Off Switch, and it's a book that goes into this kind of concept of stress management around work. So he's going to share a lot of that insight with you guys on today's show. So look out for that coming up real soon. Also, at the end of today's show, I have an, a question from a listener, which I think is a really interesting question, and one that I think a, a few of you may identify with, so I'm going to share that later on today's show as well, but before I do, I just want to talk about the patrons. I have got a couple of new patrons over the last couple of weeks, so I just want to say a big thank you to those people, and the first one I'm going to mention is a lady by the name of Lorna Kingy. Lorna is a... It's a she sent me an email, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago that I put it on Facebook and on the internet, and... It's one of those pieces where I get a lot of feedback on and it's, it's kind of around fear and, and trust and um, all those types of things. And I may actually do a podcast on it in the next couple shows because I think it's a topic that obviously a lot of people identify with and there's some real value in it. But Lorna just sent me through this email and she identified with my piece and there's some. she was just this person who had, you know, you could look at her life and say it was pretty phenomenal. She was a lawyer at a very young age, um, you know, had you know, a pretty successful life and, and woke up one day and realized that while maybe you could tick the box and say that I'm living a good life, that actually I'm not, you know, living what I can ultimately be. And, I, and she's got a line in her email here, I can honestly say that I just didn't have the imagination to dream up the life that I now have and now love. And she 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 had the guts to make the change. And um, in her email, she's she just saying, you know, she made a choice to become a person who promotes health and fitness in her community and her world and how that's been such a powerful thing in her life. And I just, I always had admiration for people who make massive change, but also make massive change in, in areas where it seems really appealing to stay where you are, maybe for the wrong reasons. And I, like, I don't know Lorna's situation completely, but obviously... You know, we could look at lawyers and think, wow, these people have amazing lives. They look like they earn lots of money, they're very challenged. There's lots of kind of social prestige around being a lawyer. And to, to move away from that, even though it might seem the right thing to do, can often be a really hard thing to do. So, Lorna, I just think you're a bit of an inspiration. And so um, I've called you, your nickname is the Queen of Change. And because that kind of sits in your own experience of you changing and also the fact that you've kind of created a life around helping other people change. And so I just think that's a, quite an appropriate nickname. And it kind of kingy, I don't know, there's a king in there, so the king and queen, you know, maybe. Uh, I also got uh, a new, another new patron, a lady by the name of Wendy Schaefer, Schaefer, and I think a Schaefer, and I think of Paul Schaefer from The Late Show with David Letterman, who people don't really, if maybe a lot of people you wouldn't even know who he is, but a very influential musician, and if you listen to a lot of podcasts with musicians, they talk about the influence he had on the music industry in the 80s and late 70s and so uh, we know a lot of people know him he's the bald guy on the old David Letterman show but he's a very very talented musician and, and quite an influential soul so I've called you Rockstar 
and actually rockstar is one of my favorite sayings so there you go just some other patrons as well people who are already patrons of the show we've got holly the go-getter woodhouse uh, holly's actually someone who i think i may get on the show over the next period of time because she's another one like lorna who uh, has been a very inspirational person we've got sue uh, chisel and the only way is up we've got denise dana ab fab and we've got nathan the hurricane those are also patrons of the show. So if you want to be a patron of the show, you can go to www.bevanjamesisles.com. I now have 30 patrons. So for those 30 people who are patrons, thank you so much. I really appreciate the support you give me. I have spoken last week about, or a couple of weeks ago, about trying to become a uh, a weekly show. And it's definitely an aim I have for this year. And the support of the patrons definitely make that much more realistic. So if you want to become a patron of the show, go to www.bevanjamesisles.com. If you enjoy the show, you get value from it, and you think it's worth chucking a couple of dollars my way, that'd be really appreciated. Anyway, I'm going to get into the main gist of the show right now. It's an interview with Dr. Mark Cropley. Um, I really enjoyed his time. Hopefully you guys get just as much out of it as I did. Radio team, well, um, I'm very happy to have on the show a man by the name of Mark Cropley. He's a, well, he seems like a bit of, bit of a pretty smart man, if you're going to be really honest. And he does a lot of work around psychology and uh, probably the cost of stress on your life is probably a good way of putting it. So first of all, welcome along to the show, Mark. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be on. So you've recently written a book. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, um, the book's called The Off Switch. And um, it's actually, I wrote it to help people switch off from work. So I probably started working in the area of stress 20 probably years ago. And when I first started, we looked at stress at work. So what caused stress and the impact of stress at work? But we now know it's not actually the stress at work that's caused the problem so much. It's how you mind after you finish working. So if you come home and think about work, it's just as bad as being at the work, at the stressful um, work, work, workplace. So a lot of my work over the last, say, 15, 20 years has been looking at how can we actually unwind and switch off from work and escape from work-related thoughts, because the thoughts that tend to cause us problem, problem, problems. If we think about work um, when we're at home, particularly if it's stressful, it can lead to increased blood pressure, raise cholesterol and various things. So there's a lot of um, physical, physiological effects by thinking about work outside work. So the key message is to say it's not the stress at work so much that's causing the problems, it's how we unwind once the work is finished. Mm. Before we go into too much detail of the book, because it's a, it's a very good read and in some ways I feel a very important read for many people out there, what got you interested? Maybe give us a bit about your history. So obviously you've studied psychology and, and stress and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, what made you kind of head down this this area of thought? Right. Um, <clears throat> originally, um, I was going down the cl- clinical route of psychology, and um, my first job was as a health psychologist. And one of the projects I was looking at um, was looking at how um, parents switch off from work. Well, not sorry, how parents, um, the stresses of work, how it affects their, their physiological functioning. And we measured, we had three groups of people. A single group of people, uh, a group who had a partner, um, but not, and they could be married or, or, or with a partner, but had no children. And the third group had at least one child at home. And we measured their blood pressure over the working day and evening. And these were all school teachers, and school teachers are a very stressful occupation, yeah. Yeah, uh, I imagine. Um, and we thought it would be the parents who showed the most stress in the evening. And what we found, completely opposite this, um, there's no difference in blood pressure over the working day between the three groups, but in the evening, the parents' blood pressure declined more than the two other groups. And um, we couldn't really decide what, what the actual mechanism was, what's causing this this issue. Because you'll think, really, if you had children at home, yes. it would increase your blood pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That'd be so hugely stressful. <laughs> but we found completely opposite. And so I spent... Uh, Sounds really sad, but I spent the last sort of twenty years trying to work out why um, these people were were switching off better. And um, I think the long or well, the short story is, I think it's basically a distraction. If you've got children at home, you're coming home and you've got to cook, you've got to clean, probably for your children, and therefore you're switching off from work. You're distracting your thoughts from work. Whereas if you haven't got um, anything to distract you, there's no sort of natural break um, from when you get home. 
And um, I say so that's led to a series of studies over the last uh, 20 years, I guess. With, with regards to that, you know, like you talked a little bit earlier on about how one of the problems with stress is the letting go of stress um, post-work. Has, you know, yeah. 20 years ago, we weren't surrounded by devices that let, let us stay attached to work so much. So how has that shifted as technology has become such a part of our lives? Um, I think technology is, is a, one of the biggest problems because... Um, Obviously, we're Skyping this time of night, and it's so easy to access emails, um, your, your work. You can lock on and you can download work. And we nearly, you know, in a 24-7 society now, it's just so easy. And um, people tend to, I know my colleagues do this, check their emails in the evening. And um, I think the, the, the latest term that causes is grazing. It's like you're grazing on the emails, you know, as a as a cow will graze when they're eating. Yeah. You're constantly checking emails, and it's probably the least productive you know, method you know for checking emails. You, ideally, you check them say three or four times a day and just deal with them there and then. But they're constant, and I also think because they're there and they're on your machine, you can't ignore them because it's there in front of you. It should be, mind you, there may be an email and a flash up. So, um, you know, I tell all my um, workshops just. Either switch the phone off completely when you go home, or or certainly switch the emails off because there's no way you can unwind if you're thinking about work all the time. Um, and and then sometimes you get a bit um, people will um, you know, not get bored in the evenings, but if there's a, a spare moment, people start checking emails. And once you start checking, it triggers thoughts again. So so one of the terms you talk about in your book is rumination. Do you want to maybe tell us what that means? <laughs> Yeah, well, we don't really know. There's there's lots of different definitions of what rumination is. Um, it basically comes from uh, Latin to do with cows and ruminants. So as a cow, cow ruminates, so we ruminate about thinking. But people use it in terms as you can think of thinking. Is it pondering? Is it meditating? Um, so it's all these things together. But I think rumination is probably more. It's like um, possibly having a, a stuck record going over and over and over in your mind. You can't stop thinking about this, this, this same thought. Mm. And that's what I think rumination is. And um, I distinguish between different types of thinking as well as outside work. So uh, I, don't, I don't know if you want me to explain it. No, bit no, about go this. into it. Yeah, you've talked about active yeah. rumination, problem solving, and stuff like that. That's it, yeah. We, um, we, we sort of, we've identified three groups. We, we over a series of years with um, sort of, um, projects, MSc students, PhD students. Um, and surveys, we we and interviewing workers. The three groups are um, the names are probably not the perfect names, but we call one group affective ruminators, and these people get tense, they get upset because they can't switch off from work, they get annoyed, um, they want to switch off but can't switch off. So those people would be the people who literally are having repeat thoughts over and over and over again. Yeah, the guys. Yeah, these are the guys are having problems. It's really, repetitive thoughts over and over again they can't switch off they become tense become annoyed and um and these are sort of the problem guys really the second group um i'm I'm not sure if it's a good name but it's sort of stuck we call these problem solving ponderers and these are people who think about work outside work but more in a detached way so you could be thinking about um I'm a psychologist and I write research papers. So maybe thinking about statistics. So maybe thinking about how to, um, say, analyse the data, but in a detached, relaxed way. Um, so I'm not getting annoyed by, by the process. And a third group we call uh, detachers. And these are people who want to leave the office or their, their work situation. They just switch off, like the click of finger. And, but I'm not sure if these guys actually switched on in the first place. <laughs> you know, if you enjoy your job, you should you should think about it a little bit. You know, it's only natural to think about it. I'm sure you do when you finish work sometimes, and I certainly do. But um, so, so it's so almost like they're, not, the they're never really engaged. So there's nothing to detach no, from. Okay. No, you can't you can't detach because you're never engaged. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So of yeah. those three, um, <clears throat> which which is the strategy that is the best strategy for people to be working towards? Um, I think the goal is if you're an effective ruminator, you get tense. Really, should be moving more into the sort of problem-solving person. Um, obviously, you don't want to do this too often. You, you need to escape from work at some stage. And uh, there's various strategies we can do, or I can, you know, people can do to switch off. Um, 
we, I can talk about the strategy if you, if you wish. Yeah, we'll um, do it for later on, yeah, for sure. Uh, um, one of the things we talk about is um, developing an, an unwinding ritual. So at the end of the day, um, you know, my, my, my unwinding ritual would be uh, I clean my cup up at work, I clean the desk, I, I try to um, stop with the emails. So I'm really preparing the body or the brain to say, that's it, work is finished now. And so within the last sort of 10 or 15 minutes of the day, I, I slowly come to, an, uh, to a stop. Whereas if you're rushing and rushing around um, and you suddenly try to stop, you can't stop because your brain's going over and over. Mm. And somebody once in a workshop, he said um, he, was a, he was a salesman, always on the telephone. And he said it's like driving on the motorway at 120 miles an hour then suddenly having to drive through a residential area, say 10 miles an hour, yeah. and you, you, you yeah. want to go. And, um, and, and so you know, one of the things to talk about is, is say, developing an unwinding ritual. And um, it sort of tricks the body and the mind to think, oh, that's it, works over for the day, and, and then it leads you to, to relax. Um, and the other thing we, we advise is find an activity in the evening, find something to distract the mind. So if your mind tends to wander back to work, if you don't give the mind something to do, it'll start thinking about you know, anything really. And because work is, you just finished work, it'll naturally think about work again. Mm. So you know, develop a hobby. Um, there's no one hobby which is better than other hobbies. You know, some people like fishing, some people like I don't know, ballroom dancing. But hobbies that require attention, I think, are the better hobbies. So something that captures your attention will be a good distraction activity. So anything that distracts you from work, or oh, eating and family, friends, having having um, dinner with your family is a really good distraction activity. Because if you're engaged in talking, you it's quite difficult to think about work. So, so, and you talk about this in your book. You talk about um, the different ways to distract yourself, and how there's active and kind of passive. You know, TV watching is a distraction, yeah. but the benefit when it comes to eliminating rumination is not necessarily as high as you know active kind of distractions if you know what I mean yeah I guess it also depends on the job you're doing really. if you're doing uh, if a really manual hard, hard job um, I guess the last thing you want to do in the evening is probably do yeah. some exercise or whatever so sitting down in front of the TV is fine and we, we all do this anyway um, it, but the TV is not really good for stopping your mind wandering mm. because unless it's a um, really interesting documentary or, or something that really grabs your attention it's quite easy to um, you know for your mind to wander. So we tend to talk about say active activities, something you engage in psychologically versus more passive activities. So even for reading, some people now I find reading quite quite an active activity, but some people it's quite passive. And I, I guess it depends what you read as well. You know, um, um, it, uh, I don't know a novel might be more more um, active than other things. I don't I don't know. It's each to their own really. Well, but it's, well, with with Sorry. regards to like things like TV, because I, you know, like as you say, most of us are going to watch TV. But it's it's how do you know when it's gone past the point of it being valuable? You know, because you know, lots of people can sit down in front of TV and three or four hours later they're still in front of the TV. You know, like, and I'm sure that if anything creates more stress because they feel bad about themselves because they've wasted their night. You know, like it's that fine line, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I guess <clears throat> it is a fine line also. And um, I know you're interested in exercise, and exercise, uh, I think it's a very good. It's a, good key to distraction uh, as well switched off from work um i think it's okay once in a while to you know we all go to this sitting down watching tv for four hours but i think when it becomes a habit and then um you know, physically it's not very good and also if it's not actually helping you to switch off and you sit in front of the tv answering your emails or or you know, checking things online then obviously it's, it's not really serving uh, a cause and you're just sitting sitting there probably as a passive recipient of this information and not really actively engaging in it so um i think it's, no, it's okay once in a while i can't judge anybody for watching tv mm. but um I, I would advise you know probably one night a week but find other nights to do other things mm. Mm. i always think of myself you know with tv watching it's like where do i get the value from because i i do obviously being a fitness instructor physical work um and i enjoy sitting down and watching a good drama at night but for an hour and then it's like okay well, i've got the value now i go do the next thing you know it's a kind of a strategy i think it's a good way to think about it 
Yeah, I think and, and limit yourself, and then you're in control of the TV, not the other way around. That's, yeah. I think that's probably the key. Yeah. So, yeah. so when we talk about rumination, and rumination being this kind of concept that I do not let go of the thought pattern of of the workload that I have, what are some of the 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 effects of it on your life? Um, you mean physiological effects? Yeah. Like, what, what are the, the cost of of having this? Oh, oh. Um, I think that there's we, we talk about behavioural effects uh, and physiological effects, and uh, I can go talk to these. So, we there's some work looking at um, heart attacks and people who can't switch off from work. Um, I think it was something like three and a half times people who can't switch off from work were three and a half times more likely to have a heart attack than people who can switch off from work. Wow! And um, uh, and, uh, and actually, we've we've done some studies looking looking at why this is, and it could be. A direct link between um, things about work, raising your blood pressure and causing more stress on the cardiovascular system. Or we've been looking at from the behavioural side, and we did a um, study and we're just replicating this work again. And we looked at snack food in the evening. So this is probably also where the TV comes as well. So we had um, people who were high ruminators, people who can't switch off from work, and people who were uh, low ruminators. And we looked at the types of food people were eating in the evening. And the high ruminators were eating more um, chocolate, crisps, um, cakes, biscuits than the low ruminators. So it could be because they're, they're thinking about work, they're using food as a, sort of some kind of emotional regulation, trying to, to, to like comfort food. But that's because it's full of saturated fats and sugars, that's actually then causing or you know, higher cholesterol, which leads to heart disease as well. Mm. So the mechanisms, there could be the mechanisms could be, you know, physiological, it could be an instant thing, or it could be a, um, through behavioural effects as well. So there's um, there's <clears throat> there's also, we look at cortisol, and we've done some work looking at raised cortisol, you know, mm. stress hormone. Fascinating, fascinating, and about we, the sleep patterns. Yeah, but we also look in the evenings, so people who um, think about work in the evenings are producing more, cortisol than people who are not oh. and um and, and over the long term you know th- that can you know, put massive damage on, on on the body and we've also the key um outcome as you also look at is sleep as you suggested and um we've done, done loads of studies with sleep and people who think about work take a long long time to switch off and go to sleep and um and these people the high ruminators who tend to think about work a lot, even if they go to sleep quite quickly, they tend to wake up in the night and start thinking about work. And um, we've, I've, got, I've got some data here, which is not published at the moment, but um, I'm, I'm writing it up, actually. We um, asked people to wear these things called ActiWatches, which is like a wrist monitor which measures movement. And we find that people who are the high ruminators, they tend to move a lot, even when they're sleeping. So they're tossing and turning in bed, um, uh, and you can see clearly on, on, on the figures, even though when they're supposed to be asleep, and um, it's particularly salient towards the latter part of the of the uh, morning. So from say five, four, five, six o'clock in the morning, that then they're moving all over. Um, so um, they're just getting rest to sleep full stop actually. And so in, in your book, you talked about uh, I think it was the cortisone. Uh, they have high cortisone before bed so it's hard to get to sleep but then they also have low cortisone in the morning where we actually want the cortisone to kickstart our day yeah the court, it, it's um to, to sort of give you the buzz for the day to get you kick started you 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 want a nice um they call it a cortisol uh, cortisol awakening response so there's a sharp increase in cortisol as soon as you wake up mm. and um we found it was flattened so people are, are either waking up too early and it's peaking too early and it, and it goes down or because they're chronically stressed, the system is, is shot to bits, really. So they're not producing that um, nice um, rise in the morning, as we expect. And um, and then, then you know, cortisol has been associated with diabetes, with memory problems, heart disease. So so it's a really important hormone, actually. And so, um, you know, I can, I can imagine that if I've stayed up all night and had terrible sleep because I was, couldn't stop thinking about work... Then I wake up the next morning and my body aren't really isn't getting the chemical effect that I need to kickstart my next day. That, if that flows on for a long period of time, that can't be good. No, no. And what you find also <clears throat> is the people who who um, have the 
the poor sleep or and uh, you know the, the cortisol's causing all this problem they go to work um in a more of a fatigue state and if you're at work and you, you you're tired you're more likely to make mistakes oh, yeah. or you're less productive you might be angry with your colleagues you know, and then you, you you probably get to the day and then you start thinking about your day reflecting on this thinking oh i made a mistake here i made a mistake there i should have done this and then you ruminate more in the evening yeah. then you can't sleep the following evening <laughs> and, and so it goes on and on and on so um it, it's a um it's a it's a it's a vicious circle and it goes on and on and on and um yeah yeah so it it it, it causes problems and also um problems at work there's some interesting i'm actually look at this with um uh, ruminators but it's the same sort of process there's been some work in the states and looking at um people who don't sleep well and they're more li- you're more likely to um take part in deviance behavior at work the next day the suggestion oh, really? is so you know um it could be from um little things like stealing not the old pencil from work to f- fiddling receipts and they put this down to fatigue and and, and tiredness basically Wow. So, um, so there's a whole host of issues, you know. I'm not saying people, all people who don't sleep, you know, do things, but you increase your risk of making mistakes at work and also engaging in deviant behaviour. But I think we can probably all yeah. identify with that. Like we all know that, <clears throat> excuse me, when we are mentally fatigued, we are poor at choice making around behaviours, aren't we? Yeah, that's good. You, yeah, you're more likely to to engage in risk behaviors because you're not thinking straight and you're trying to find a shortcut all the time and um yeah i think there's a lot of work to support that actually so one thing that i'm curious about is this whole idea of the culture that i work in you know like if uh, i know i have a friend who's a lawyer and lawyers work culture is very much the hours i work is almost a badge of honor that i wear um and so it creates this very unhealthy person um so so how how does the culture that i work in influence me becoming a ruminator um, it's interesting because we find that um, the, I guess there is a, a, a cultural aspect as well, but but um, it's not so much the job. I think it's it's more the individual okay. um, the job. So for for for, for example, um, I do a lot of work with with school teachers, and um, you I can go into a school and um, there's two classrooms next door to each other. Um, same sort of kids it looks like to me. One teacher will say, this is um, the worst school I've ever worked in. The te- the children are horrible. I can't switch off, blah, blah. Next teacher, oh, this is fantastic school. The kids are great. <laughs> so it's very much an individual thing. Yeah. Um, um, and like I, I see why in, in some pressured um, jobs, you know, people may find it more difficult. Interestingly, we find that the higher up you are in an organisation, the, the least likely you are to ruminate. And maybe if you're really high up, you've got more control. So you can uh, delegate, okay. and, and the, the actual worst people are the guys in the middle. Tends to be the guys who who are getting stressed from the bottom, getting stressed from the top, and these guys are the seem to be the high ruminators. But it does affect all, all levels. So, so it's um, sometimes more situational, but then sometimes it's more of a a personal. It's just the way you approach these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've actually had, we've have, have done some work with lawyers, and um, we thought they wouldn't be very receptive to um, some of the interventions. But they've been a great bunch, and we did some relaxation um, techniques for them, and some uh, we made some audios for 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 relaxing, and um, the feedback was really positive. But I guess they took the CDs home, so they practiced at home in the comfort of the home, so nobody really knew what they were doing. Uh-huh. But um, they were they were quite receptive actually to 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 the work. But they're, they're fully admitted they find it difficult to switch off. They certainly do. Yeah. Do, do in regards to um, you know, so we say that okay, well, if I'm if I'm ruminating, there's this kind of uh, negative effect, which there's lots of flow-on effects. But if I can learn not to be ruminating, maybe to be more of a de- learn how to detach from a rumination and, and have maybe problem-solving, pondering at the right level. Yeah. What Where does that take me as a person? Um, you mean in, in career-wise? Yeah. Right. Well, um, I. Th- I think the work to support this. If if the type of person who are able to switch off from work and um, completely relax when you're outside work, I think it shows you you're probably more productive when you actually get to work. So in the period when you actually work, you're working probably more intense. You're getting more done. You're able to concentrate more. So um, it seems sort of counterproductive. So working less, 
um, and, and stopping working at home and switching off actually increases productivity at work. And um, I think that's one of the most difficult, well, that's one of the challenges we have is convincing people you can still be as productive mm. even though you're not working. And I think also if, you, if people are in the habit of working and people are working, um, it seems the world is divided into two people. Are the people who can't find jobs and they're trying really, really hard to find a job and the people in work are working you know, twice as long as they normally would do. So, um, and, and the guys who, um, who, who are working hard and that you go into, you, you make working hard a habit, so you go home and start working again. So it's trying to convince these guys, no, no, step back, take a break, and you'll be more productive. And what we, we suggest people do is, first of all, choose like an addiction, but choose one night when you don't do anything, you don't check emails, and gradually wean yourself off. So eventually you can stop, you, know, you can do your nine to five or your eight to six or whatever you want to do, but then you stop in the evenings. But not saying that sometimes, you know, I work later in the evenings, it depends what you're doing. So I think the key is not to be too stressed by or too constrained by your um, by the by the habits. So occasionally it's okay to work, but um, you know, in the long term it's best to have a more of a balanced life and um, learn to switch off when you when you come home. How do you find it to get people to change? You know, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of people who identify themselves as ruminators and uh, have their costs, you know, the, the negative health effects of that. Uh, you you teach a lot of tools in your book, and um, uh, how how effective are people at actually changing from becoming ruminators to people who can be a lot healthier around this? <clears throat> the work we've done so far, um, very effective. The people who are having problems, I guess the people we see are the people who have the real issues and you know, want to switch off from work, so they're, they're quite receptive. Yeah. Uh, they they um, they are, are quite keen and will we'll, we'll do the exercises and um, it works in the short term. We haven't done any work more than I think follow up studies. I think six to eight months, so we don't really know um, what happens after say eight months. And we believe people carry on do, doing the um, techniques. Um, interesting. Nobody's ever come back to us and said I'm having problems again. Okay. So the people who've been a course the. the um, it seems to be effective and I'm saying with, with all the techniques um, some techniques work better than others so for some people it, it might be more of a sort of relaxation technique and other people it may be more of an active you know sort of more of a cognitive restructuring so I think once you've learned the, the, the certain techniques then you can pl- apply them at different times so um, but it's something I think you probably need to work on and um, I advise probably reflecting and say once a month and just see how you're going because it's quite easy to slip back into the habit of working again. Mm. And work catches up. So, um, but um, yeah, we we've had um, say very good success. And um, but we haven't say um, one of the problems we have um, when we do the work about switching off from work. We do some diary studies and and various things. And uh, when we try to publish in journals, one of the comments is, "Well, you're trying people not to switch off from work." But you're asking people in the evenings. Are oh, you thinking about work? And we're asking people. So uh, it's a you know. So we, you're we, almost we a trigger to, to the problem. Yeah. So um, we, we unless people come back, we 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 we'll tend not to follow up people too long. Well, one thing I'm always curious about is this whole idea of um, the one dimension personality, the the person who has all their cards in one you know one table, if you know what I mean. Uh, and, yeah. you know, because when we think about identity, a lot of people's main sense of esteem, especially workaholic types of people, is they've neglected so many other areas of their life to the detriment of them being open to developing, you know, because I'm so strong at being a lawyer and I'm so weak everywhere else, I'm all naturally going to put more energy into being a greater lawyer because I don't want to show my weakness in these other areas. Is this something you guys come across? Yeah, not not too bad. We, we um, um, I know exactly where we're coming from with this. Actually, there, there used to be some um, anecdotal evidence about surgeons. Um, the surgeons work these incredible hours and really uh, tough pe- t- people. And there used to be some evidence that, um, or some anecdotal evidence that once they retired within two or three years, most of them will, will, will be having a heart attack or do, do, you know dying off. And because work's been so much central to their life, so I think it's certainly important to have different areas. So you have family, friends, and do different things. Because I think if you're one-dimensional, that's when when you have problems. Mm. But we, um, 
we've interviewed people and um, I, I've mentioned but one guy he's, he's always on the phone he never ever switches his phone off so when he's on a golf port course he'll, he'll switch the phone answering um, telephone calls emails even on holiday so for him and I think that was um, I think his marriage broke up I think eventually because he was um, continually you know, just just working and missing birthdays kids birthdays and things and um, I think it's quite sad because I think sometimes if you do that, you reflect back later on in life, think, well, I missed so much of my life. And um, once work's finished, then the whole portion of your life is gone, actually. Mm. So uh, I, I think um, uh, I tend not to use the word balance too much because it, it depends, it, it suggests it's always up and down. Mm. But um, you know, it's, no, it should be more um, diverse, I think, your life should be. Yeah. yeah, well, and just in regards to that, I just wonder if one of the things that makes it hard for people to move towards the tools that stop rumination is that, that sense that I'm not going to be good. Like I know meditation is really interesting. Uh, you talk about it in your book and I've meditated yeah. for years. And and one thing I get when you try to advise people to meditate, because techniques are actually pretty easy, the barrier is they just think they're bad at it. So they stop, you know, like people yeah. give it a couple, yeah. give it a week and they just think I'm so bad at this. I'm, you know, what's the point? And it's, you have to learn with those like meditation that I'm not, there's no judgment on my ability. It's just do, and eventually you'll understand the value of it. And so yeah. for those people who are listening who maybe identify with being a ruminator, is that when we look at adding tools to help to stop this, it's to not judge how good I'm going to be at that tool at the start. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Actually, we was having this conversation at work today about you know, a certain type of, of personality who when they start meditating, they want to be the best meditator. They want to do it the longest yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think... Actually, probably going back to your previous question also um, um, about work taking over. For some people, because they have worked all the time, they're successful, they think that's the only way because mm. it has served them well. You know, they, they, mm. they find they've worked all these hours and, and they say, look, I've got a big house, I've got a big car, whatever. And trying to say to them, yes, but you could probably still do that, but without putting all the hours in. But and particularly we, we, we do to work with um, perfectionists, and and oh, they'll really? yeah and they'll say no but, but it's got to be done this way because it always has and it's always worked and and very very difficult to change actually yeah yeah very challenging. Uh, regards to um for those people who are listening right now who you know they kind of feel that we're talking to them. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, they really self-identify as that person who gets home from work and just have that repeat thought of the patterns. What would be your advice on how to shift? I know that's a big question, but maybe just <laughs> a short answer. Well, I, th- um, I think, well, I don't think I could do a, a complete short answer. Um, the thing I talk about is cognitive restructuring, really. Well, um, you know, when, when, when you have these thoughts about work, and you've got, you know, if I have a thought, I've got to be working tonight, I've got to do this, Try to challenge that thought and say, well, what happens if I don't work tonight? What's the worst thing I can possibly do or happen to me if I don't work tonight? And and, and come up with a more rational um, decision. So write it down. And um, so if you find yourself working or find yourself thinking about work or, or doing so, write it down and challenge the reason, you know, the pros and cons of doing this. And But try to challenge... Um, that negative thought you've identified in yourself, and then you, I think you'll probably see it in a more um, rational way. Um, and I'll say about putting it on paper, it's good to put things on paper when it's not in the paper, it's quite difficult. But um, once you've written it down, and then you can you see what it actually looks like on paper, and you can actually address the thought and change the thought. Um, and I, there's also, uh, if you certainly when you come home, um, one one of Techniques people use is um, I quite like this myself. Is uh, well, there's two other things you actually can do. You can um, um, part the thought. People, if you've got a, a problem and um, something's really playing on your mind, you can decide. Um, you teach yourself. I'm not going to deal with this thought now. I'm too busy. Um, but I'll leave the thought for say um, six o'clock this evening or, or tomorrow morning when I can deal with it better. And by saying that to yourself somehow the thoughts seem to be less salient and um, you can tend to get on with your business and then when you decide to deal with the thoughts um, you can deal it in a more rational non-emotional way mm. and so it gives you a sort of respite from the thought mm. um, but one little one 
other technique you can do, and I know people's got children, people are busy and find it difficult to. Um, I like the idea. One of my um, uh, things I do is called the, uh, the notion of a favourite place. So having a favourite place, it could be uh, an armchair in the house, it could be in the garden, it could be a swimming pool, it could be a cafe on the way home, it could be uh, you know your favourite place could be completely different to mine, but it's somewhere where you can go, you can relax, you can think to yourself, you can uh, give yourself 10, 15 minutes just to go there and just give yourself a respite from the uh, sort of daily strains. And once you sort of sat down 15 minutes, 10 minutes, have a cup of tea or coffee, you know, by yourself, it seems to charge the batteries and then you can carry on and um, um, you know, carry on with the evening or carry on with the day. And um, it seems a really, really strange thing to do, but uh, it does work. And sometimes you, know, you may not have a favourite place where you can um, switch off in the evening, but it could be the park at the weekend. Or it could, so, so you know you've got somewhere to go to actually think and, 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 and um, have a bit of space for yourself. Mm. It's interesting. Mm. Um, I, um, admittedly, you kind of... Pre- no, no, it makes really good sense. It really does. And yeah. it's, um, it's interesting... Um, you kind of preach into the choir of me because a lot of the stuff I read in your book is stuff I've learnt kind of just intuitively through life to imply. But I think the one thing that I, I want to reinforce to the listeners is that, like I know for myself in my busiest times, my tools to help me stop ruminating are what I prioritise as number one. Um, and it's, you know, because often as we get busy, it's the tools that keep us healthy are the first thing that we drop, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. We we, we think, um, I'll just go over this hurdle and... Um... And, and then I'll, I'll carry on doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. And then we know that we do that. And next week, it's just as busy and just as busy. And before long, we're back where we started from. Yeah. So um, um, it, it's, it's like a bit of a gardening exercise, really. You've got to keep you know, getting rid of the weeds and keep mowing the lawn <laughs> in, in, you know, using the techniques again just to uh, be on top of it all, really. So, um, so, so, so some other kind of random questions. I was just looking through, you've, but you're obviously very um, prestigious in what you do because you've published a lot of works, I saw, and um, I just saw you did a lot of work on smoking. Um, can you maybe tell us a little bit about your work on smoking? Because I'm really fascinated because to me, when we look at behaviour change, smoking must be one of the hardest ones to overcome because you have this addictive substance, substance that you're working against plus a process of habits and um, behaviours that are so ingrained in the way you live your life. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure I just kind of threw this out there, but do you have anything to share on that? Um, a, lot, well, a lot of my work actually is um, looking at exercise and smoking. So what we tend to do, we, um, we have people coming to the lab at work and the, we stop people smoking overnight so the cravings are, are really high through the roof. And we... we um, Simply, we, we we put people on an exercise bike and we monitor cravings. And um, if they exercise any from sort of moderate moderate intensity to 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 high intensity, their cravings go down. Uh. And we, we're looking at the mechanisms, what what's causing this, and um, it, it we we still don't fully understand why it's working actually it could it could be part of the distraction so it's same as the ruminative thoughts you, because you're you're distracting yourself you're not really having the cravings oh, okay. so it could be that but it could be other mechanisms and we're, and we're investigating that so um so most of my work is really being in the lab looking at this not actually looking at um helping people to to quit completely but because cravings is a a large portion of you know the problem people have we're looking at cravings and um, how we can help people with their smoking cravings. And uh, nicotine is supposed to be one of the hardest substances, I think, to uh, to uh, wean yourself off, actually. So um, any, any work you can do. And the idea is the work we're doing with, with the exercises, we find it you know, as little as five to ten minutes of moderate intensity exercise is enough to just to get you over that craving. And as you know, um, smokers... Um, cravings tend to fluctuate throughout the day, mm. and um, and if you find if you can get over that little period where you really want a cigarette, so you, if you're in an office situation, for example, you could probably walk up and down the staircase a couple of times, raise the heart rate, um, distract you from um, the cravings, and then you can go back, and the cravings probably gone then, mm. and then 
so so obviously you can't exercise all the time but it, it, it could be one just one more tool you can use in your um in your smoking kit really mm. another study mm. i saw that you guys did was this concept of um, again i'm just throwing random questions at you now but you've got such a good body of work so why not um people don't exercise because they think can't think of a reason <laughs> to exercise so can you maybe tell us a little bit about that one yeah, that's um, there's there's a, a model and using for addiction, and people go through through various models. So, um, so various stages. So, um, um, stage one would be where you, you're probably not thinking about giving up smoking, or you're not thinking about exercising, and then you go right through to the last stage where you're in maintenance. So you can actually you, you exercise all the time, or you don't smoke all the time, <clears throat> and um, the. the I won't put. Um, there's, there's a there's a theory. Um, it's called the availability heuristic, and um, it's it's a long story. But basically, we act on our um, things that instantly come to our mind. So the idea is, um, if you're thinking about exercise and um, and you think about reasons why you should or shouldn't be exercising, if this is this is obviously uh, uh, this is the short story. So so if it's, if you're thinking. Of, about exercise, then all your thoughts are saying, telling you reasons why you shouldn't be exercising, you probably wouldn't exercise. Yep. But if your thoughts are telling you you should be exercising, you're more likely to exercise. And it sounds really simplistic, but the idea is if you can get people engaged in the positive sorts of thoughts, and then thoughts are easily accessible. So as soon as you start thinking about exercise, you think, oh yeah, it's good for my heart, it's good for this, it's good for that. You're more likely to engage in exercise. So um, it, 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 it on one level, it sounds very simplistic, but when you go into more detail, it, it, it's more complicated. So it's kind so, of like um, so it's kind of like saying that the negotiation you have with yourself, if you can learn to put positive benefits in that place, that's going to influence you towards exercise. Whereas if you can't see reasons, that obviously it's going to push you away from exercise. Yeah, and it's also speed of reasons. If you can quickly generate reasons why you shouldn't be exercising, uh, you might have you you might have. You know, ten reasons you might be able to list ten reasons why you should be exercising, but if you start as soon as you think about it, the the reasons why you shouldn't be exercising comes quicker to your memory. Uh, then then you, you tend to stop. So so and, have and you guys that, done research on if you can actually pre-program having the quick positive thoughts? That's what we're looking at at the moment. Actually, we, we we're trying to do some work looking at whether we can um, um, sort of stimulate the thoughts. So. Uh, and and make the negative thoughts less accessible yeah. and the positive thoughts more accessible. We 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 did a study a couple of years ago. We got some positive results, but um, I'll like to replicate it first before I actually talk about it in any more detail. Yeah. Um, it, um, but, it, but the interesting is this: you know, the theory is there. So what we, we we test the theory and and hopefully it's uh and we get some positive results. Yeah, it's very interesting stuff. Hey, uh, Mark, any anything else you want to kind of leave off to the people listening, and um, before we kind of wrap things up? Um, no, I think um, I guess the one one thing I, I probably should tell you what you shouldn't do. Um, yeah, totally. It's, it's, yeah, you just you just reminded me about the um, <laughs> because the exercise thing actually. Um, I talk about this concept of the, the white bear. I don't know if you've read it in the book and. Yeah. Um, so the idea is, if you're thinking about work, don't try to force the memory out out your your, your mind. So um, this this it's a it's a really bizarre study which was done probably 20 years ago, and I didn't fully appreciate this study until um, you know well it's probably long it's probably 30 years ago. So what it basically is, you ask people, um, Wagner did this in the states, not to think of a white bear. Yeah. So you told people, you know. Whatever you do, don't think about a white bear. Which I'm sure the whole audience think now the is thinking of a bear. white bear. Yeah, think about a white bear. <laughs> yeah. I think I've gone bonkers, actually. So don't think about a white bear. As soon as you think about a white bear, you, you, you ring a bell and press a button. And by actively trying not to think about it, you think about it more. So, so all of this, we're smoking as well. So you know, people don't think about smoking, don't think about cigarette smoking. Um, they think about thoughts more. So if you're trying to suppress a thought, push it out of your head, you've got to think about it. So don't try to push the thought about work outside your mind and don't don't criticize yourself for having thoughts about work. If you let the thought come and go, it's fine. But if you try to suppress it and push it out of your your, your mind, it will come back later on with yeah. a vengeance. And if yeah. you think you bring so, it to the forefront. Yeah, yeah. By trying to suppress it, you're thinking about it even more. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll so say if occasionally people think about work, it's fine. But to stop thinking about the work. 
and and so mm. then that's where your strategies of actually having different activities that are around switching your mindset elsewhere actually allows you to remove the rumination. Yeah, tattoos. It, it, it could be. I suppose you can probably imagine it. Um, probably not a brilliant analogy, but um, you know, record player or stereo. Where if your ruminating thoughts is a is a, a volume that so turned on quite high, um, the idea is to to um, try to do something else to drown out music. Yeah. So turn the other music up, and that will eventually go down. Yeah. And and that's that's what we're, we're trying to say really by distracting the mind. You're not paying attention, and and the other thought will just drift drift away, and uh, it'll, you know, be less loud. And, and your thing will take over. And, and you'll yeah. obviously be a healthier version of yourself. Mark, if people want to get in contact with you, um, have you got a website? I've got a work website, yeah. Um, it's www. Actually, if, if you just. Um, I'll, put a link to, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. I'll, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. I say that if, if, I should be in Google, actually. If you just type my name, I, I tend to be. Uh, there's not many croppers in the world, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm quite, quite easy to find, actually. You're, you're a unique bunch. Guys, the name of the book is The Off Switch. It's on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon as a Kindle, uh, also as a print version. Um, hopefully, you get an audiobook done at some stage as well. It's a really good book, guys, and it's one for. You know, for those who, who are listening to this and really recognize that you are someone who ruminates and, and can see the the health costs on your life for that reason. The good thing about the book is it's not just the stuff that teaches you about what it is. He actually gives a lot of tools as well. And uh, if you are willing to do the work, you'll end up in a much healthier place. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was really great having you on, and uh, keep up the good work. Okay, thanks for having me. Yeah, good. great. There you go. There's Dr. Mark Cropley. Uh, just, yeah, pretty pretty interesting stuff here, isn't there? I think there's lots to take away from the interview. I do recommend you get hold of his book. It's called The Off Switch. I'll have a link to it on my website, www.bevanjamesisles.com. I also have a link to his um, website. He doesn't have a website as such, but there is a page where you can maybe get in contact with him if you feel you need to. Um, yeah, really, really good interview. And I think it's a, it's a, an important subject, and it's some really great insights around this whole idea of rumination and... Yeah, just, yeah, important stuff. And I think, you know, a lot of people identify with this. A lot of people don't let go. And the costs are, you know, obviously pretty massive to your health. And if you are trying to be a healthier person, that's a really important thing to be working on. So if you want to, you know, work on this area, Mark's book does have the tools to actually help you through this. And today I did introduce you a few of yourself. You know, do the work because there is a healthier way and that's what we should be aiming for. So thank you so much, Mark, for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I really enjoyed the interview. I, I, you know what, to be honest, I just love sitting down with people who, you know, he spent 20 years studying this subject and I could probably have sat down for a lot longer and just digged into his ideas. Um, I love kind of getting a chance and that's one of the things I love about doing this show is the opportunity to speak down, sit down and speak with people who have insight in areas that I don't have as much insight in and gain knowledge from them and Mark was a great example of that. I do have an email that I want to respond to so I'm just going to pause for a second. I'll be back in one second. Uh, through the power of podcasting, I am back and I've opened my email. Uh, I just got an email through from Tesca Forrester um, and she's just got a question. She we kind of sent me through a link to an article which was really interesting and uh, through our conversation she came up with a question for me and it was an interesting question which, again, I'm not sure if I'm the expert on this one but I think... You know, I just will share my thoughts on it. And the question is, can I ask you, do you believe in such a thing as emotional eating, i.e. boredom, stress, happiness, etc., triggering the desire to eat what you think will make you feel better? Or is it simply a behavior slash habit? Maybe there's no right answer to this question as individuals have different things that affect them for different reasons. But I think what I now have learned is that I tend to blame the reason I'm not eating lean and good on these things which isn't going to a, uh, which isn't going to achieve the my outcome at all so Tesco wants to lose some weight um you know this is the situation she's in and she's just kind of wondering is it that my dealing with stress boredom you know those types of emotional things are the cause of that or is it purely a habit and, and, I, and to be honest I think it's kind of both to be honest I think that you know, if we think back to the interview with the guy who wrote Mindless Eating and we talk about how do we set up our world around to create good habits, you know, this we need to to address this on that approach there. We need to look at this approach and actually go, no, you know, how, how is my life making me fail? And how do I influence 
the way I make choices and my habits to actually avoid that from happening. So that's definitely an area we ought to address. But we also do need to address what takes me to the place of emotional eating. And it's interesting, I was having a session with a client the other day who has these moments where they overload on unhealthy food. And it's almost like, you know, it's an emotional response. It's it's emotional eating, basically. The battle gets too hard and it's almost like they give up and they go into this really emotional place. And I I asked them a question which really kind of got them thinking. and, And the question was, why is it so good when you're in that place? And, and it's kind of that addictive thing, isn't it? It's the addictive thing of, you know, I'm not a smoker, but I imagine a smoker, after the fact they had a smoke, they might feel bad. But the moment they're having a smoke, they're probably enjoying it. And the same thing, with, that was kind of the question I had for my client was, well, when you're in this place when you're maybe kind of binge eating as an emotional response, why is that pleasurable? What are, what are you gaining from that? Because we know that as soon as that moment finishes, you kind of go into guilt and feel bad about yourself. But why is that valuable in that moment? And when we think about this emotional eating thing, I think there's a few things to think about. Is First of all, you know, like if we look at if I'm emotional eating because of stress, I need to look at my stress strategies. And obviously the interview we had today is, is a good thing to, to look at and to listen to and to apply. And if I'm bored or how do I create a life where I feel more fulfilled, so boredom is not necessarily a bad thing. So there is this, how do I deal with the emotions in much more healthier ways? But in that moment also, when you are, maybe binging is the right word, but you know, doing a behavior that you know that you shouldn't be doing, what is what what is the gain of that moment? What are you feeling in that moment that makes it so appealing? And if I can understand what I am feeling in that moment, are there other ways to feel that? Are there other ways to overcome that? And the, when I, you know, the session I did with my client, it seemed that it was almost like a moment of freedom. That you know, it was you know a struggle for them to stay healthy, and that that binge moment, you know, sure they liked the food, you know, like it was probably let's say it was sweet food that they have at that moment. You know, we most of us like sweet food. But actually, it was that moment where I didn't have to, it was almost like this freedom moment where the stress of trying to stay healthy was no longer there. And I think that when we think about, you know, poor eating, there's so many factors to consider. And emotional eating is, a, you know, the thing of those emotions that bring it on. How do I learn to implement strategies in my life that deal with those emotions? And again, today's interview is a good example of that when you talked about how Blood pressure increases because people who ruminate at the end of the day, they tend to eat more poorly, which has this flow on effect of their health. So that's, you know, they haven't dealt with their stress, so they tend to eat more poorly. But also to contemplate, what am I gaining in that moment? And if it is, for example, freedom, or well, how do I gain a sense of freedom? What do I need to feel free from? And how do I find that in other areas of my life so that I don't need this kind of, this failure moment to help me feel free? Because if that's the only time I'm going to feel free, it's going to keep coming up. But if I can keep exploring how to find feel freedom without that need of that binge moment, then maybe that becomes less appealing. And then thirdly, to, to look at my environment and to think of the strategies that I can use, like the mindless eating work around my environment. To be honest, this, this takes work. And if you want to do well at this, you're going to have to address these areas. And hopefully Tesca... Um, you know, my thoughts here can help you in some ways. And, and and it's maybe an area where I can go and maybe I'll do some good deep thinking on this and actually do a show on this because I do think it's a really important area that a lot of people struggle with. You know, my thing is that most of, you know, I imagine most people listening to this show know how to eat healthy. It's the how that's the problem and these barriers of emotions, um, you know, the inner feelings that we desire and, and my world around me have such an impact on that. So to work on those things obviously make a massive difference. So stuff to think about there. Hopefully that helped in some way. Um, patrons, if you want to be a patron on the show, you go to bevanjamesiles.com. I really do appreciate the patrons. And also if you just want to check, email me, you can email me at bevanjames at gmail.com. I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks from now. I've got a, a Bevan show and I've got an idea for a show which I think is going to be kind of cool and then I've got a couple of cool interviews coming up over the next period of time as well so 
thanks for supporting the show. Oh, you know what? One other thing. Oh, two other things, actually. If I've got a spot available for a client. So if you want to work with me, um, my, my kind of work's kind of different. I don't necessarily do write you fitness programs. I'm very much about the whole person. And uh, my work is, I have all different types of clients. And to be honest, most of them aren't fitness related. Most of them are more about self-development so if you are looking at doing some work with someone to improve yourself i do have one spot available right now it'll probably close up pretty quick so if you want to get involved get in touch um one other thing if, if you can help me support the show if you don't want to become a patron and you still want to support the show obviously sending emails out to friends or, or letting people know about the show is really important but if you could go on itunes or the way you get the feedback like i know on android obviously you're not going to be on itunes but if you the google store or the app and write a, um, some feedback about the show on the where you get your iPod or your podcast distributed from. For some reason, that tends to help with your ranking. So if you want to help with the ranking of this show and help get more listeners to the show, I would really appreciate that. So just write some words, whatever feels right for you. If it's negative, well, maybe <laughs> maybe you wouldn't be listening if it was negative. So so I really hope it's positive and, and five stars is good. So <laughs> there you go. Um, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Keep doing what you're doing. You guys rock. Thank you.